Welcome to the Tiagi Group Training Intelligence Podcast, episode number five. Today, Tiagi and I are going to talk about rapid instructional design. Hi, Tiagi. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. Anything new in the training business? Uh, hey, nothing new, but uh, I saw a news item which says uh, training magazine is going to cease publication. Really? Yeah. What are they, are they uh, ceasing their online presence as well? I have no clue, and uh, I don't know whether uh, they're going to discontinue that conference, which was one of uh, my most favorite conferences. Actually, yeah. our favorite conferences. Yeah, it's the, uh, the big conference that I actually like going to. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's horrible. Well, we don't know that the conference is ending. We just know that they're going to stop paper printing. That's all oh. we know for now. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Well, that would make sense, I guess. Especially yeah. with all the uh, other electronic vehicles for uh, delivery. Exactly. Like what we are doing. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about rapid instructional design. What is that? Okay. So it all started... Some uh, 12 years ago, when one of the people working at a client's bank, her name is Sue, she told her boss, here is a piece of reality. You give somebody an instructional design task and give that person six months. And then you give Tiagi the same instructional design task and give Tiagi six minutes. And in terms of learning, what Tiagi does in six minutes is going to uh, overtake and bypass what other people do in six months. And I thought it was extremely loyal and somewhat a gullible statement for her to make. But it got me intriguing and I had some of my graduate students look at packaged training material and take three measures. One is ask the producers how long it took to produce that material and how much was the budget for the design and development of the material and independently how effective is the material in terms of student learning. So they collected a lot of data about, I think, 20 different packaged material. And they came up with some startling results. What were the results? Okay, so result number one, there is a direct correlation between cost of a training package design and how long it takes. In other words, the longer it takes, the more expensive it is. And this is almost a perfect correlation. 
So you can use either the time or the cost uh, interchangeably. That should not surprise anybody <coughs> because the major cost in training design is the labor cost. So longer it takes, the more you have to pay the people. And what was startling or intriguing was the other correlation. Which was? Okay. See, I'm trying to build the interaction here. <laughs> so you're supposed to be asking me questions. Okay. I, um, I did. Didn't you hear me? Uh, yes, you did. <laughs> and here is the interesting finding, Matt. Between the effectiveness of the training package and the time it took or the cost it uh, cost, um, because they are uh, very highly correlated, between the time of design and the effectiveness, uh, there is a correlation of approximately 0.64, but in the negative direction. So anybody who is uh, listening and who is uh, statistically challenged, it basically means the longer time you spend in designing training, the uh, more it sucks. Alternatively, the faster you design something, the more effective is the learning from the training material. So given this, I decided I should be designing training very, very rapidly. But, uh, uh, but what are the data points that indicate it sucks? Uh, what do you mean data points? Well, so the longer t amount of time it takes to do the training, how, why does that, what are the... Uh, yes, we did the probing. We came up with all kinds of analysis. We asked people and so on. Let me give you a chance to speculate. What hypotheses do you have that indicate the longer a training design takes, the less effective it is likely to be? What is your thought? Uh, number one, the people involved move out of their roles. So the people you were targeting to train originally are no longer in those roles, and so you have a different audience with different possible needs. Very good. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so the training package has become unsuited for the current audience, uh, one possible hypothesis. Technology. technology has improved, and so the content or the materials you want to train on uh, or the, the content you want to teach is no longer relevant or, or current. Yep, that, that is true. The content becomes obsolete. Anything else? Um, the business objectives and the value that the training actually brought to the table six months earlier is, is no longer okay. uh, viable. Yep, and by the way, here are a couple more things which, uh, given enough time, you would have figured out. One of them is uh, if you give people a lot of time to design, they throw in all kinds of nice-to-know content along with the absolutely need-to-know content. So if you're teaching people how to set a telephone switch, they start uh, talking about uh, the sociology and the philosophy and the history of telephony 
and uh, how telephone communication is just a natural evolution of medieval French communication or talking drums in West Africa, things of that nature. If you give them limited time, they just stick to the essential stuff people should learn. So that is one other element Matt. Still another element, I think this is a powerful concept. The less time you have, the more you tend to make your students accountable. You just tell them, hey folks, here are the training objectives and here are the resources. You go figure out how to do it and the learners become more responsible for their own learning and they end up taking more responsibility and therefore they learn more. So these seem to be some of the reasons, Matt. There also seems to, uh, so I, I know that you would rather talk about the learning uh, benefits, but from a business side, there's a lot of cost benefits as well to cutting down the amount of time design takes. Exactly, exactly. So they, they are obvious, and I'm just going to focus from the learning outcomes, and more importantly, the transfer and application outcomes are further emphasized if you don't spend too much time. So that is basically what is happening. And I have read a lot of literature on rapid training design and found out they are all the same old Addy model that are recycled uh, to speed it up. And I decided we need to take a radically new approach. And I started dabbling into literature on improvisation, on improv theater, literature on rapid prototyping in software design, agile programming, chaos, complexity, self-organizing social systems, and things of that nature. And they came up with an approach that I call faster, cheaper, better. And uh, obviously, we know the faster, the cheaper. Um, how did we? Uh, how do we get to better? Uh, the, the, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, the faster or the cheaper, <clears throat> you put more responsibility on the shoulders of the learners. You make it more interactive. Things of that nature. So, what are the process steps that we take when we're doing a rapid design? Okay, let, let, let's do a role play. Okay. Let, let us assume you're my client, Matt. Okay. Okay, so the first question I ask my client, what do you want to teach and who do you want to teach it to? So I'd like to teach people how to read uh, financial statements and be able to make better strategic decisions. Okay, you want people to make better strategic decisions and be able to read financial statements. Um, Matt, it is such a pleasure working with you. This part of my process is called the sucking up to the client. I'm very impressed you're able to pinpoint exactly what you want. They want to make 
you want them to make better strategic decisions. That's great. That's wonderful. And who are these people, Matt? Uh, they're the non-financial managers. Oh. So people on our operations lines, in our sales department, marketing, R&D, etc. And they're, okay. they're mid-level to senior managers. So this is a financial analysis for non-financial paper. Correct. Sounds good. So, uh, by the way, that concludes my needs analysis and all of those things. If it takes more than five minutes, I'm wasting everybody's time. Why? doesn't mean I'm not going to be doing more analyses later, but at this time, I don't want to question people and threaten them and infuriate them by asking them, what data do you have, and things of that nature. So I'm taking it. Well, aren't there? Uh, what? Why wouldn't you want to spend more time exploring some of the context? Okay, uh, <clears throat> at, the, at a later time in context, rather than at this time in total isolation. Got it. Okay. So uh, I will go next into some logistic analysis and say, okay, Matt, how many people are going to go through? this uh, particular uh, activity. Well, we have 400 people that I'd want to experience this. Okay. So whatever and you recommend. Do, do you have any thoughts at this time, whether you want it online or instructor-led uh, classroom? If so, uh, how many people at a given session? Things of that nature. So Approximate idea. Face-to-face, 20 people. Face-to-face, 20 people. And I could I can have them away for about a day. Okay, good. Sounds good. One day, face-to-face, 20 people. Okay. We will, by the way, work out the details, but it is nice to know where we are headed. Okay, Matt, now I'm going to ask you a critical question. So after these folks go through the process, let us say six months later, what results would they have produced that would make them different from the other managers who had not gone through the training course? I would like them to be able to understand more critically how their budget plays into how we get things done. Wonderful. But what exactly? I'm focusing not on what they will understand, what they will do, but what results will they produce. I want them to make better decisions uh, 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 operationally, uh, keeping cost in mind. Wonderful. So give me an example of a better decision and why should they make a better decision. How do you measure what is a better decision? Uh, Headcount, for example. Uh, A lot of times the default nowadays is we don't add headcount. We we deal with what we have, but because we have overtime issues, the cost of paying people overtime could indeed add up to another headcount. Okay. So can you take your thought and slightly spin them to say, okay, when these managers were being trained, they make a decision, 
they are able to see a wider and broader financial picture than just making a shallow thing and say, if I don't hire more people, I'm going to save more money. So Correct. you want them to look at all of the consequences. Yes, I want, I want a thorough, thorough understanding of the ramifications of their decisions. Okay. To the Understanding is good, boss. But, uh, okay, can we say any decision they make, they should be able to give an in-depth justification, not only at the surface level, but what financial ramifications those decisions have. Sure, and we could even go as far as to say they should be able to advocate for what they really need and make a good business case uh, to pitch to executives uh, the direction they need to take their, their business line, et cetera. Very good. Excellent idea. I like the way you put it. So if you take 10 people who have been trained through this process, and if you take 10 other people who have who have not been trained and have them make a pitch for a panel of decision makers about something they want to recommend and support it with financial analysis information. The 10 who have been through your course will do a much better, more credible, more convincing job than the other 10 who have not been through your course. Would you say this is a good, credible way of comparatively evaluating our course with no course at all? Yes. Okay. So this, by the way, is technically called level four evaluation, maybe level five evaluation. I want us to focus on that and it is possible we never get to do this type of an evaluation, but I want to use that as a milestone, as a beacon, and we are aiming toward that, and we are trying to make the people who go through the course come up with a solid, sound, well-reasoned financial justification for business recommendations they make. Folks, uh, this is uh, my uh, high-level needs analysis, evaluation, and so on. If Matt were not able to justify that or agree to that, I will probably say this is not really a training problem. Okay, Matt. Well, what if I insisted, what if I insisted that, hey, I just want them to uh, read financials. Okay. And, and I, I didn't go into, uh, uh, here's what I, what, what if I didn't fully understand it myself? Okay. Which clients okay. are apt to, to uh, I, I can take uh, two approaches, Matt. One, I may spend more time by using concrete examples to um, make my client understand that that has to be a business result. And by the way, I never have too many problems doing that. And the second approach is, depending on whether my mortgage is paid or not, I will say yes, 
and I will do the battling if I feel this is something which has a training need. I will go ahead and not argue with my client and just go ahead and do it. And gradually, as I'm designing the training course, show the importance of producing business, uh, importance of producing business results, Matt. I never want to waste my time arguing with a client. Got it. Okay, the next step I will do is working with the client, I will say, okay, let us do a final test. And I will uh, convince the client we need something more authentic than a paper and pencil multiple choice set of questions like the definition of asset is which of the following. Instead, what I will do is say, you are making a recommendation for retaining your employees, even though by downsizing them, you can save a lot of money. Write a financial justification for that. So what we will do is we will create a bunch of scenarios and have people come up with a recommendation for that particular situation and more importantly, justify it on the basis of a financial analysis. In other words, the scenario-based final performance test will reflect exactly what we want them to do on the job. So I will sit down with my client or the financial people in the client's organization and come up with my final examination, which will, let us say, which will contain 20 different scenarios, depending on how many variables we want to handle and randomly produce them. And the final test will involve each person taking any two or three of these scenarios randomly, analyzing it, coming up with the recommendation, and justifying why they are recommending it that way with financial analysis data. So, so when I'm listening to you, you, you did a short version of Analyze. You're now designing the performance test. Uh, it sounds like you're, you're just following an abbreviated version of Addy yourself. Absolutely, yes. Uh, if you, if you want to take everything in life and say, this is Adi, uh, be my guest. And uh, so, yep. Uh, the other difference, uh, Matt, is I'm not going through one step at a time. I'm mixing them all up. So the right big, now, the big distinction is that you're doing all this concurrently. Uh, yes. So we call it a concurrent code design type of a thing. Got it. Okay. So having done the final test... I feel half of my job is finished. I go back to Matt and say, hey, Matt, what does the content, the necessary information, the principles and the procedures that are related to the type of 
skills we want them to acquire. What do I find that information, Matt? Well, there are, there are three executives we have that do this really well that I would like our participants to emulate. Okay, good. So I got the three live sources of information, subject matter experts, and my preference will be to find some archived, recorded sources of information. And obviously, there are many, many books in the area of reading financials and justifying uh, the, the whole concept. And uh, I will probably dig through my Amazon and my Google and my online sources to find some good sources of information. And I will go to these uh, three experts and they say, give me examples. And I will record them. I will audio record them. I will video record them, get all of the information. So this is the source of content. And here is what I will be doing, Matt. I know what the final test is going to be. And I will focus on doing a series of activities which will lead them to the mastery of the skills required for doing the final test. For example, in this case, I will probably take some of the final test scenarios, organize participants into five teams of four people, and say, folks, here are a couple of scenarios. You guys uh, uh, respond to it and justify it. So this is the final test. And if you want help, here are some of the resources. Here are three books on how to justify your um, recommendations on a financial basis. And here are three videotape recordings of our chief financial officer and our president and somebody else explaining how they had to justify the decisions they made financially and what were the consequences. You can listen to the tapes, you can watch the videos, and you can read the books, you can talk to each other, and also you can ask me questions, but you're limited only to asking me five different questions. So I make up a scenario, I make up a simulation, and have them practice their skills, and I feed them just in time, just enough information, things of that nature. And I let them play around uh, this approach for half a day, and I can say, okay, so spend a whole week of your own time doing anything you want, talk to each other, Keep your team members in contact. Next week, same time, another half day, we are going to do a quick review of what you learned, and then we are going to hit you with the final test where you will be given a scenario, three scenarios, and you'll be asked to make a recommendation and justify it, and you'll be rated, evaluated on the basis of this particular checklist. 
So everything is open, go to it. So that is uh, uh, what I'm doing. My focus will be on the activity mat, and all of the content will be fed into the activity. It, it seems very uh, disorganized and messy. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, what is the value proposition of taking that approach versus having a more organized uh, dissemination of material and process and activity? Okay. For them? In real life, it is not organized. You've got to make financial decisions. Some places you don't even know you've got to make a financial decision. So to some extent, we reflect the re- real life. By the way, um, it may appear disorganized, but it is not. They got a very clear outcome. They got a test which measures that outcome. The outcome is related clearly to producing business results, and they know how they are going to be evaluated, and they have alternative sources for learning, so we don't treat as if everybody learns the same way. And most importantly, we they are learning to do rather than learning to know. They're learning how to do this thing and how could be more organized than saying, this is what you want to be able to do and do it as a method of learning. And they get feedback and they learn with other people. So it may appear disorganized when compared to everybody shut up, sit down, and watch me create death by PowerPoint. So that's one approach, Matt. How do you handle uh, any possible frustration among participants uh, who, who might be coming in expecting a more traditional approach? And uh, we tell the participants, uh, we want you to learn, and we want you to be responsible for learning to do the thing, and we do not believe that your passively listening to what I'm saying is going to make you able to do that thing. Got it. So- and uh, b- b- by the way, nothing works as effectively as some success. And I have clients who have seen the effect of immediate transfer, and they seem to be happy. Yeah. Does this process work with e-learning as well? Uh, It works with the e-learning, and what I would like to do, Matt, is actually spend another day with you and me talking about our rapid design approach to e-learning. Sure. By the way, by rapid e-learning design, I don't mean you do a bunch of PowerPoint slides and convert them into e-learning. I mean something more serious. Are there risks to doing uh, rapid instructional design? Uh, nothing I can think of. From a client perspective, what would some risk be? Absolutely nothing. There is less risk involved than pretending that telling is the same as teaching, pretending that if we expose our 
managers to the necessary content, they will be able to perform effectively. So uh, there is no risk involved except in some cases clients hire instructional designers for political reasons. They just want some professional scapegoats that they can blame on. But if the clients seriously want learning, transfer, and business results, there is less risk involved in this than having a professor from some prestigious university coming to make a presentation. Got it. So do you have any uh, final summary of, of uh, our approach? Uh, if the listener is an instructional designer, the major problem you're going to have when you do rapid instructional design is how do you charge your clients? Clients are so used to paying people for the number of hours of work they do that you are actually being punished for being efficient. So if you say, okay, all I need is two days and I'm going to be building the airplane while I'm flying it, I'm going to design it while I'm delivering it, they say, okay, two days, uh, that is $4,000, right? Uh, so what you need to do is you need to build your clients and get a contract which is value-based rather than how much time you spend. So if you keep on doing very rapid instructional design, you may put yourself out of business. Got it. And uh, what are some final statements for clients? Uh, the client, uh, you are wasting billions of dollars, uh, you meaning all the clients taken together are wasting billions of dollars using approaches that have been shown to be totally useless. Data survey indicates that the discrepancy between what people know and what they do is something like 80%. You use only 20% of what you learn and we can make sure what people learn are usable and valuable by using this approach. Good. And it sounds like next time we will uh, take the same approach and apply it to e-learning. Yes, exactly. Good. Well, that brings us to the end of Episode 5. Ta-da! <laughs> what, what was that? That is my music, closing uh, music. Oh, <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. All right. Well, we will uh, we will have the next episode posted shortly, and um, probably within a couple weeks. So tune in. Take care. Thank you.